Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, I'm super excited to have been speaking with Shanti Arika. Shanti is currently the Senior Vice President, General Counsel and Corporate Secretary at Zendesk. And she's held that position for just under a year now. It's a fascinating discussion and what a super impressive and inspirational lawyer and leader Shanti is. She's had some fantastic experience at great brands uh, like E-Trade, Salesforce. At one point, she took on the general counsel position at salesforce.org, which was a, a new organization set up as a social arm, if you like, for Salesforce. And she tells us how that opportunity came up. And that's, um, that's one of my favorite sections of the, of the interview. Autodesk, Twilio, and now as the um, as the SVP and GC of Zendesk. So it's a great discussion. Lots of themes that we've heard before, but with a real particular insight here from Shanti. Themes like the importance of me- mentoring and mentors in your life. She talks about having a personal board of directors. I love that expression. And again, being open to opportunities. Even though at the time those opportunities come up, they might not seem to be directly on the path that you'd like to be on or in line with what you're aiming for. So it's a, it's a wonderful discussion. As I said, Shanti's a super impressive individual. I'm sure you can enjoy it as much as I did. So in the usual fashion, sit back, chillax and enjoy the episode. Hi, Shanti. Welcome to the show. It's fantastic to see you and have you on board. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great opportunity to speak with you today. I'm looking forward to it. Now, uh, Shanti, currently you're the Senior Vice President, GC and Corporate Secretary of Zendesk. I didn't mention this to you before, but Pursuit's a very happy Zendesk customer. And for all of you out there um, living under a rock, Zendesk is one of the world's premier uh, help desk software as a solution, as a service solution. Congrats on the appointment, I think about 10 months ago, but take me back Shanti, where did it all begin for you and your interest in law? Uh, And then we can work from there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I was always interested in writing and uh, being a lawyer involves a lot of writing, especially on the more litigation side. And I actually started out as a litigator. And so I wrote a lot of briefs and worked on motions and things like that. Uh, And actually my very first, you know, so I, I did that at several of the law firms that I worked at. And then got an opportunity to go in-house to my very first in-house position at E-Trade. And right. yep. uh, I went in to support the litigation that I'd been working on as outside counsel. Now, eventually, things just started to come appear in my office, like the box of patents or trademarks or issues that arose that were completely outside of my comfort zone at the time. Yep. And so... I started to work on IP and transactions and mark co-marketing agreements, which was kind of like our sales agreements at the time. So eventually, uh, I probably transitioned a little bit more over to to those sorts of things, and the you know the litigation had wrapped up at that point. So you yeah. know it was kind of a transition 
career step for me to go in-house. And I used to joke all the time that I went in-house as a litigator and I came out, out as a transactional lawyer. As a transactional lawyer. And, and, but we love, the, we, we love the early stories as litigators because so many of my guests as GC started off life as a litigator and I, being a litigator myself in the past, have always call out a great skill set to start off with. And here you go, you're another example of that early days as a litigator and then, and then becoming a transactional transaction lawyer. Tell us a bit more about that and how, how that kind of played a role in the journey. Because then, of course, you spent some time at Salesforce, Autodesk, Twilio. So you've had some great companies that you've been working for. Yeah. So, you know, going back to that same job at E-Trade, we had just purchased yeah. a company that became E-Trade Business Solutions, and it had a GC, a very seasoned GC at the time. And I went to him and I said, I've never looked at a contract before, really. Can you walk me through each clause and tell me what they, what they're, you know, what are, what do they mean? Because, you know, in law school, you don't really go through clauses, clause by clause and talk about what an indemnity is or how you might change it and things like that. So we went through that clause by clause. He explained to me where, you know, you might get caught up. This was a traditional license at the time, well before SAS and a software as a service. And so we walked through it and then he said, okay, now you go do it, go do some licensing. <laughs> yep. And, you know, obviously with help from outside counsel and necessary, I began doing some of the deals for that company and then also for E-Trade, um, generally the co-marketing agreements and procurement agreements, et cetera. And, you know, started to really dabble in that area. And then in my next position, which was for a, pre-IPO company at the time it, around the dot bomb era, you know, eventually it did. Um, yep. We did end up having to lay everybody off and close the business up. But at the wow. time I was in charge of the legal team and then worked quite a bit on large transactions for the company. And that just continued along the way, you know, that does tend to be something that every company really needs and values. Um, but having the litigation background was super important and helpful because you run in, you see the issues that you can run into and has always been very, very helpful and informed the way I think about how to negotiate things and what to be concerned and where the risks are. Yep. Yep. Then I think Salesforce is next. Um, yeah. So I, I took some Tell time off. That. Yeah. I took some time off yep. and uh, raised my children and worked you know, not for companies, but, you know, did some work for like my children's PTA and different things like that in the community, yep. which was great and yep. actually worked um, to my benefit later when I was talking about what I could do, what I did while with my time off, you know, from work. I actually went back. So we by then had moved to Canada and I hadn't been working for about six years. As a result of that, it was it was a little bit difficult to find a position in a new country where I hadn't worked for yeah. several years. And it was just after the financial crisis in 2008, I was looking around. And so I worked for a company called Celestica, which was a spinoff of IBM. And um, I really enjoyed it. It was more low tech than high tech. They do they, at the time, I can't speak to what they do now. But they did do a lot of the boards that go into some of the servers and things like that for large companies and then do the background work for, you know, if you're buying a phone, it might be put together by somebody else, not by the company you're purchasing the phone from. So they did those types of things with servers and phones and other things. 
And so, you know, a lot of those agreements had much more to do with the bill of materials and who owns the componentry, who has to be responsible for it and things like that. It was very interesting because it's not something I've done before and really getting a peek at what hardware uh, risks are versus software, but my heart was yep. still in software. And it's so software, when yeah. I heard about the Salesforce position, I sent in my resume and uh, was quickly hired into that position, which was the first role that they had advertised for in Canada. And then right. over time, I actually grew a team and had about a third of the commercial legal team in the Amer region under under me. So focused both on Canada and the central U.S. And then yep, I, yep. I and what did that sorry. what did that team actually grow to? What what was the number of that team at, at the time? Um, I don't remember exactly what it was when I was in yep. Canada, but then I moved back to the U.S. and we ended up splitting the U.S. LATAM and Canada amongst two of us. Yep. And so um, I had about twelve people at that point. So it went from an individual contributor to twelve people on the team. And you know when I went back to work at Celestica, I was a contract administrator. So to go from contract administrator and then to somebody running a team of 12 people was, yep. a, you know, hard, great achievement, a lot of work. And, you know, I th think, you know, Salesforce really gave me a huge opportunity to prove myself after being out of work for several years, raising yep. a family. Yep. And what are you learning about yourself going from essentially an, uh, an individual contributor to then starting to build and grow and manage a manage a team. What are you learning about yourself at this point in your career? Because it sounds like Salesforce experience is the first time you've actually done that. I, I'd be interested in, in, in some of those early learnings. Yeah, I, I did have a paralegal that reported into me early on, but you know, it's a very, yep. very different when you have a much larger team. I think I remember when I first hired the first person who worked with me at Salesforce and she was a superstar. She's still there. Stay in touch. Yep. And I thought, well, management's really easy because you know she's an A player. <laughs> when, when you've got a when you've got a team of superstars, yep, exactly. <laughs> that typically works. We were very similar in a lot of ways, and so it, it was easy. But then, as you grow a team, and I remember my manager saying, "Just wait till you have more than one headcount." <laughs> yeah. And it's true. There's a lot more to balance, especially like a mid-level manager position. You're still often doing your own work not just working on escalation. So you're very busy juggling. You know, I had a young family at that point in time. So, you know, trying to make it home for dinner was sometimes impossible. Yeah. And then yeah. also on top of that, making sure that I would try to prioritize the escalations that my team had along with all of the work that I was doing is yeah. hard. I think over time I've learned how important it is to grow a culture, you know, transparency, uh, really showing how much you rely on people, not micromanaging, but yep. still you want to gain, you know, you want to gain their trust. You want them to gain your trust. You know, it's, it's a give and take for sure. And I think a lot of it is around really understanding what, you know, what I always try to do with my teams now is meet with everybody on the team, always be doing skip levels every quarter at minimum and understanding what's working on the team, what's not working, how can we resolve those issues that aren't working, and then really work, focus a lot on career development and what, you know, what goals do we have as a company that trickle down into our department? And then how do those tie into your personal career goals and where yeah. can we marry those two things? And that's 
how I think I was able to move forward in my own career and what I try to bring forward for people on my own team. That's so important, isn't it? Actually understanding how you as an individual can fit into the overall company goals. So that being able to cascade down those corporate goals down to the teams and then from the teams down to the individuals so that everyone knows exactly how they fit in, um, what those goals are and how they can make, make a difference to those goals. I think that that's even a learning for me in the last few years, being really crystal clear. And that's what helps just get ownership, buy-in and feel a sense of, I can actually make a difference and a sense of belonging too. Does that resonate with you and the teams that you've built? It definitely does. And I think, you know, all the manager training that I've done has been very helpful to go through scenarios and get a good understanding. So I think there's a huge value to having a great HR business partner who can walk you through some of the issues that you might not think about yourself. And, you know, having all that training that I did, I think was really, really helpful in guiding you around, you know, coaching and different things that you might want to think about, you know, in those relationships that you're having with your team yep. and with your skip yep. levels. Now, before we get to your current role um, at Zendesk, which I think you've been in for the last 10 months or so, any particular highlights out of, because you've spent some time also, I think, at Autodesk and Twilio, two fantastic companies. Any particular highlights out of those parts of your career? It was really interesting to juxtapose my time that I spent almost eight years at Salesforce. And then, you know, my shorter 10 years at both Autodesk and Twilio, it really, you know, getting to see inside of different large companies or growing companies is very interesting because everybody has yep. different ways of doing things. And so, you know, having been at Salesforce for so much time, it's easy to think, well, that's the one way that you should do this process or that process. But getting to Autodesk, which was a much more mature company, showed me that there are different, different ways of doing things. I have to say that the people there were lovely. Many people at Autodesk stay for 20 plus years, and I had fantastic network of people within the legal team, within my own team, with my manager that were just so collaborative and very friendly and just super helpful. So it was a great time. And it was also very interesting because they had just started and hadn't finished the transition from a license to a subscription model, which can be complicated. Yep. You know, you have to change all of your contracts. Yep. You have to think about the pricing and how you're, how you're aligning that with what your customer expectations are. And then one key thing in the subscription model is really about wanting pe people to come back, you know, it's, it's a rent versus buy decision. Correct. And if you're going to rent or subscribe to something, you need to ensure that you're continually improving things. And then you also have a set of customer success people that help customers with the installations, customizations, and continue to keep them happy. And so I think that was a, a work in progress that I was helping with on the legal, from the legal perspective. And it was yep. super interesting to see that transition happening live. And with Twilio, I think for me, the most interesting thing was, you know, moving into um, the corporate role and seeing more of the corporate side of a public company than I had done in the past. And then also Twilio is a CPaaS provider. So they're both a SaaS company and also a telecom company. So 
that was very, very new to me. So it's it's been fun to stay within tech, but maybe dabble a little bit in all these different areas, hardware, software, you know, seeing the license model, yeah. the subscription model, the telecom piece, and, you know, now going back to my roots with CRM SaaS. Yep. And, and are there any particular kind of pivotal moments that that steered the course for you to get you to this point now as SVP and GC at Zendesk? Is there anything that, if you were to pick a couple of points in the career so far that have steered you to this point, what, what would they be? You know, I think definitely number one was going in-house from private practice, you know, so that's yep. number one thing. Yep. The second I would say would be, you know, my career at Salesforce and having my management be very open to me moving, you know, when I moved back to the U.S. and then when I came to the U.S. and speaking about my career goals and where I'd like to end up starting the pro bono program that I did start at Salesforce based on some of the things that I did during that six-year time off period, I did a lot of community-based work. Yeah. I created a park in my neighborhood through help through a federal grant. I o- oversaw a program that we redid our entire playground and fundraised for that and just did a lot of community-based community things. And as a result, when I moved to California with Salesforce, I really wanted to f- find a way to continue to give back. And so that's really why I wanted to do the pro bono program. I also had done quite a bit of pro bono when I was in private practice. And so I was trying to figure out a good way to continue to promote that internally since so many more people go in-house these days and you're losing the ability to do the pro bono as much when you're, you know, you have more people in-house than you have in law firms, particularly now. So I went to the general counsel and proposed it. They were happy to have me started out and I was able to get momentum through people's excitement and the program. That did lead the general counsel both through the conversations that I had with her about what I'd like to do in my career, what I saw as my future, and her ability to, you know, think through what where do I have holes and gaps that I could use her for. And then her seeing you know, me be able to accomplish some things for her in the pro bono and other areas led her to consider me for this general counsel position of salesforce.org, which was not at all something that I would have ever thought in a million years I'd be interested in doing because it was taking me off what I thought was my path. You know, I was happy leading the commercial legal team with my, you know, the group of people I'd moved back to California probably six months before that had worked through you getting them comfortable with a new leader and merging the team and doing all these things. And suddenly it's like, oh, do you want to go be the general counsel of, of you know, this small foundation that we have? And, you know, we plan on changing it, growing it, making it more tech focused. But, you know, it's totally different and it's separate. It's a separate company. And so yeah. I said, no, <laughs> I don't want to do that. And they pursued me and the general counsel, you know, said, hey, you, you told me you wanted to do these things. I'm giving you this opportunity. Why are you saying no to me? Um, you know, and- I love, I have to say, I, I love this story, uh, Shanti. I really do, because she's probing 
What do you really want to do? What are you interested in? You've told, and can we call out who it is at the time? Who's the GC? Well, Salesforce she's now the, the CFO of Salesforce, Amy Weaver. Of course, Weaver. What, Amy Weaver. What a fantastic story, actually. And in, in a sense, I mean, I was hoping that's who you were going to say it was because she. It's a, it is a great story, not only because of the kind of interaction and the impact she's had on you, but then being able to then, I was going to say switch hats, then take on a, a very different role yeah. and clearly respected by the leadership so as to take on the CFO role. But, but anyway, but back to you. She, she's elicited from you what you really want to do and giving you an opportunity you're, you're hesitant to start off with. Presumably, she's giving you a bit of a nudge and then you've taken that on. Is that right? Yes. And in fact, you know, I became the general counsel and for probably a year after, I continued to meet with her regularly to just let her listen to what was going on. She certainly didn't have the time for it nor did she need to because we were a separate company, but she spent the time with me, really helped me figure out how to think through different things and really mentored me and continued to really be a proponent of me and my career up until today. And so, you know, she's really, you know, makes me tear up because she's such a great <laughs> leader and well, for women especially, yep. but for everybody, you know, I think anybody you would ask about her she's just a, a fantastic executive but also really cares about her people and i i do what i can to emulate that as well and what what, what a fantastic story because this is in the, the theme of mentors and, and being able to, to to search out find it or be lucky enough to stumble across a mentor someone who's looking out for you can guide you. And, and a story like this, it warms my heart too, Shanti. I love these stories. And it sounds like it's been uh, that, that you yourself want to emulate that kind of mentoring uh, uh, of others. Is that is that right? That's an important part of the career and the job for you too? Definitely. I mean, this is why I'm here today, because I like to share the story and give back to people. Yep. I actually did a talk like this yesterday with a small group in-house of in-house lawyers in the San Francisco Bay Area to share, you know, what, why I became a general counsel and what was the, what are the things that you net tend to need to go to understand and what, where you might need to fill in gaps in your career to get to that level. Yep. And look, the more you and we and everyone can, and all the GCs listening out there can inspire and become mentors of others, uh, the, the, the impact that you have on lives and careers and the cascading effect that has on others is immeasurable. And, and sometimes, uh, I think sometimes those those who are in those positions can realise that a little a little late or later than they need to, but the earlier you can be working on that, I think, and the earlier you can be mentoring and inspiring and just guiding, and as I said, the impact that has, the ripple effect that has is, um, uh, is, is immeasurable. So I'm so pleased to hear that story, Shanti, I have to say. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I always tell people is, you know, it's really important to also keep in touch with people. The relationships are important, but you also learn so much. Like I still am in touch with partners that I worked for yep. and get feedback from them on, you know, where would they think about doing things differently, but also they've been big proponents of mine, almost like a personal board of directors for me. I like that. And like thinking that. about my career and where I could go in the future or what I should think about if I should take a position or not take a position in a future company yep. and have been really helpful in, you know, either suggesting who I could meet or learn from um, or what 
to read up about or other things like that. So I'm a big proponent of doing that sort of thing. I love that insight, actually, in that description, a personal board of directors. The, the earlier, I suppose, in your career that you can put together those group of mentors, the, the directors, are, I think that certainly the better. Okay, so Shanti, you, you started at Zendesk 10 months or so ago in the middle of the pandemic. What do you do to get your arms around a new organisation, a new team, a new role? What do you do? Well, what does the first three months look like for you? You know, I really went on as much of a listening tour as I could right. before, you know, even considering what would I do differently. And, you know, I think it's super important after having been at several different companies to also realize that just because it worked well at one company, whatever you're thinking of doing may not work well. And so it, it's super important to look at and assess you know, what, what's going well and what's not and why it might or might not work here versus what, and where are we going? You know, what are, and the other thing is what worked well for Zendesk may not work anymore, but what should we replace it with? Isn't always as simple as just saying we did it this way at this other company. So, you know, I think first and foremost, it's one of the values that we have at Zendesk is relationships. And it is a very relationship-driven company, meaning that you don't go into a meeting, even if it's on Zoom, and just talk about business. You really get to know each other. My first month was just meeting all of the C-staff and my team, talking to every single one of them, getting to know them as people, getting to understand what the issues that they had were, but really just getting to know each other. And, you know, that may be easier to do if you're just sitting down for coffee with somebody or going to lunch with them, but it's equally important to do on Zoom. And I continue to try to have time during all of my staff meetings or during any, you know, smaller meeting. It's harder to do in an all hands, for example, but to do have time where we just talk about how was your weekend? What are you up to? Do we have anything to celebrate? Is somebody getting married? You know, as long as it's not invasive. And even in the all hands meetings, starting some fun areas like guess who, which baby picture is who, or different things that are fun for the team to also get yep. to know each other. We've also started in Slack. They have a, a, a bot program called the Donut, and you can match people up that way. That was not my idea. Somebody on my team at my last company had suggested that. So credit where credit yeah. is due, but I've continued to use it because it matches you up randomly with people to have coffee. And so just for people as we continue oh, to cool. grow the team to get to know each other, I think is equally important. And so in the first few months, was there anything, did you have any preconceptions as to what you thought you would need to do, which after um, having the conversations, learning more, you thought, to yourself, actually, no, I'm wrong. I don't need to do that. Is there anything that kind of like surprised you from your 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 investigation in the first few months of uh, what the role was going to undertake? Nothing that I can really think of. I mean, you know, right. I think there has been a lot of things that have happened in the law that have required us to make changes. Like, for example, I, our privacy program was excellent, but, you know, REMS 2 has required us to review everything afresh. So I think, you know, just things have arisen very quickly throughout the 10 months, a lot more than I expected to have happen. And so, you know, I've had to roll with the punches to some extent. And also, you know, some things are going to be new 
because you can't have done every single thing that happens to you. So in each position, so it's, you know, it's also, I think as the general counsel, the main word that I think people need to remember is that it says general in your title. And so you have to be a little bit more wide than deep sometimes. And so you have to really think about how you can rely on your team and you want to rely on your team because they're subject matter experts. And while I've gained expertise in many areas, it may not go nearly as deep in certain areas. And so I want to you know, discuss it with them and figure out where the higher risk areas are so that I can maybe delve in and ask more questions about those key things that are going to be riskier for the company or more material while you know, allowing them to also feel like they have a say in their expertise areas. So it's always a balance. And can you share, Shanti, what, what the, let's say the top three goals that you've set for yourself or, or your team? Can you share that with us? What, what are the priorities that have come up that you're looking to execute on in the next 12 or 24 months? First and foremost, going from a $1 billion dollar uh, revenue company to scale that, you know, is includes requiring scaling from the legal team. And we've actually been able to grow the resources on my team quite a bit this year. But that always means, you know, you you run into inefficiencies because things are too manual. So how do we automate? How do we figure out how are we spending our money wisely? How can we do it differently? Our budget hadn't, for example, been broken out by segment of legal spend uh, it was just one budget so it took a little while because it was a manual process to break it out and then have each of my leaders be responsible for their areas but i think that's important because it gives them both responsibility and accountability for their legal spend and of course it takes time to get that to, to get them feeling comfortable with that and also understanding what the yeah. run rate is because it you know and things change over time but I think that that has been really important. So I think, you know, for for one thing, it's the scaling and automating. The second thing is really just making sure we understand the issues facing us and that we're, you know, looking at what the high risk areas are and and are we handling all of those appropriately? The third thing is really, I think, a focus on diversity, equity and inclusion and making sure that people on the team because we have had a lot of changes, a new leader and, you know, a lot of new initiatives. Um, we've really tried to develop a career framework for people so that they understand how they fit in with the goals. And also, I think Zendesk in the past hadn't worked as closely on corporate goals and trickled that down to the individual. So, you know, getting people comfortable with that process as we grow to a larger company and then, you know, developing career development goals for each person and how those are different maybe from the goals of the that each individual might have for the for the their particular area. You know, so for example, if I'm a commercial lawyer, my individual goals might be to help develop the playbook that we have for fallback positions on some of the talking points we have on the contract. Sure. But my development goals might be to become a privacy law expert and take the IAPP test for the US or something like that. And you know that might not tie exactly into the fallback positions, but it allows me to learn a lot more about privacy and be able to feel more comfortable negotiating myself without having to escalate to the privacy team on MSA negotiations, for example. So 
you know, I think still trying to teach people how the how they fit together, but how they complement yep. each other. You mentioned a little bit about in relation to legal spend and the leaders basically getting their heads across and managing that spend. I take it that's both internal and external legal spend. Is that is that right, Shanti? That's right. So it could be software that we yep. purchase or, you know, I think it's also thinking about how do we each scale the different segments within the team, you know. So I think in the past, they hadn't been as consulted on individually on their teams, like how many people do you think you should add next year? And where would you add them? Which quarters? And why do you need that? You know, what's the reasoning behind your approach? And then also on your legal spend, you know, are you looking at specific firms? Do you have any alternative fee arrangements? Why are you doing RFPs? Things like that. So, yep. Yep. you know, it's, yep. it's a little bit of a new muscle for the team, but they've really taken to it. And while it's extra work, I think they really enjoy it. And I think some of them really understand that as, you know, if they do aspire to be higher up in the chain or eventually a general counsel, you really need to understand the budgeting and planning process. So it's it's a great muscle to start flexing at, at you yep. know, lower down yep. in the organization. And, and I take it you're tackling that, of course, on, on, a, on a global scale because Zendesk is servicing companies globally. So, and is your team spread out globally and is it planning to... Sp- to expand globally, I think I think I saw something that you're planning to get to a team size of around about sixty in the not too distant future. Is that right? That's right. Yes, and I have a wonderful lawyer yep. based in Australia as well. Fantastic. For- Can we give him a shout out? Chase. Yes, um, he's. Hi, Chase. How big? And and it's um I'm not sure what part of Australia they're in. Is it uh, Melbourne or Sydney? I believe he's in Sydney. He'll shoot me if I'm wrong. Sydney. Long, but- okay. All right. Okay. So, so, so we're um, both in lockdown a lot. Right so. Yeah, we're we're both in lockdown. We've been. I think I think Victoria, so my state, and it'll be four or five weeks before this episode airs. But we currently just passed. I think Buenos Aires and being the most lockdown state or city in the world for the longest period. I think we're at 250 odd days. So we're a little tired, yeah. <laughs> a little tired of lockdown. But anyway, as I said, hopefully by the time this airs, we're all we're all out. Um, so. But so, so then going back to so, so the kind of challenges that you'll have or certainly the, the, the goals around the scaling, understanding the issues, they're, they're at a global level because you've got a team across across the, go- um, the globe. Any particular strategies you're using to grow the team in a way that they still feel, though, they're part of one team. Different regions, different time zones, always different nuanced problems for their jurisdictions, but you want to keep them feeling like they are part of a a single team. Any particular strategies that you're adopting there? Yeah, so we try to use a lot of asynchronous work tools that we can to ensure that people don't have to be all at the same meeting. We do record things. I have started to vary the times for team meetings so that we do have an APAC friendly and EMEA friendly <laughs> time. And, you know, that allows people to not always have to watch the recording, but can be there live. We are having an, a virtual offsite because we still can't all travel. And I have asked yeah. the whole team to try to g- come to it during California hours, which I don't love. But in order for us to all be together, you know, the my argument was, you know, we would all travel together and get in, you know, half the people would be really tired. So, you know, yep. if you take off the day before and after, 
it's basically the same as if you flew to California. Unfortunately, you haven't, but you know that way we can really be together as much as possible as a team, as much as people can do that. So I think that's part of the strategy is is doing you know some offsites, some get-togethers. We do try to do some fun things together. We did a, a fun espionage kind of uh, thing on Zoom that was hilarious. Um, we've done some trivia. But the other thing I think that's super important, and I've spent about 15 years of my life outside the U.S., is to really remember that there are these regional differences and yeah. also that they have time pressures within their regions and they report dotted line into regional leadership. And so it doesn't make sense to have global roles all be located in the U.S. or to have to run everything out of the U.S. So we do have yep. we are moving more and more to a regional model where we have, you know, employment lawyers regionally. We have other, you know, we might have some programmatic directions coming out of people managing things like our channel agreements in the U.S., but more and more we're trying to have the local negotiations occur in region. And the nuanced, whether it's cultural, whatever it might be, specific to regions, it, it is critical. It's critical that you get, that everyone gets that right because otherwise you're faced with, well, well, X doesn't really understand what happens on the ground here. And that's, that, that, that's the kind of discussion you don't want to be having. Right. Um, so I think of focusing on the, um, the nuances of you know, what, what people are dealing with day to day and the, pe the dotted lines they've got to report to and the problems they're facing, uh, I think is absolutely right. Any, any advice, Shanti, that you would give to up-and-coming GCs or, or GCs who are now now looking to step into that role, let's say, they've been promoted, they're taking on, it's a new organisation, just as you joined Zendesk 10 months ago, what are the two or three things that you would advise them, perhaps as a result of some of, some of your own personal learnings? Well, first, I think, you know, always take, assess and listen before you really listen. move in too quickly to make decisions and make changes, unless there's a burning reason that you have to do that, then obviously you have to assess that. Yep. Two is, you know, like I wouldn't be sitting where I am today in this role if it hadn't been for me talking about my aspirations. So I always tell people to be open about what your next yep. thing is, even if it's five or 10 years out, or, you know, when I said, to Amy, I want to be a public counsel, public general counsel, public company general counsel. I had no idea how that could possibly happen. It didn't seem even yeah. like a remote possibility. But, you know, over time, I was able to map out how it could happen. And so I think saying it out loud and then, you know, thinking about how, how, how your aspirations can be realized is important because until you do that, yeah, it's just a you know, maybe something in the back of your mind. I love that insight for a few reasons. Firstly, I always say, if you really don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. But being able to just even have the confidence of say it out loud, say it out loud to others too, then what happens is when opportunities arise that you otherwise didn't have the right reference to recognize our opportunities because you hadn't said what you really wanted to do or thought about what you really wanted to do out loud then you can't you can't really see those opportunities but when you've started to map it out or at least get your north star 
then when opportunities do arise, it's much easier to identify that they align with that North Star, whether you said it to yourself, whether you said it to a mentor like Amy, whatever it might be. I just that, That's my first insight, being able to say that out loud. And, and the second is not be afraid. Sometimes that we are afraid that if we say what we really want to do, it might jeopardise what we're doing right now or the person that we're saying it to, they might be our direct boss, might be thinking, oh, this person's not right for this role then. So, so we have a, I think we have a natural inclination not to talk too much about what we really want to do or what we hope to do in the future because we think it might prejudice right. what we're doing right now. Does that resonate with you at all? It definitely does. And I do think, you know, there is a time and a place and you do have to think through what you're talking about with your manager. So, Yep. You know, I don't think you want to say time yes, and a place. Yeah. Yep, I agree with that. But I do think it that it does resonate, and that's exactly where I found it to be valuable is that people can be looking out for you and saying, you know, here's yeah. what here's here's what I would consider if I were you. And if you don't tell them, then you're never going to get those nuggets of wisdom from yeah. them. And then the third thing is, even though I said like here's a path that I was considering to do. What I always tell law students when I speak to them or undergraduates or even, you know, more junior lawyers is just because you think that you've done X, Y, or Z, you can still switch and change. Like when I was offered that position to go into this new role, it was not on my roadmap, but it turned out to be the exact thing I needed to do in order to get where I wanted to go. And I just didn't see that. And so... I always tell people like, don't stay on the road you're on just because you think that's the only road. Like you should figure out what opportunities fall in your lap um, or you through hard work obtain and, you know, think about those and don't just discount them. And that's another theme I love, just being open to opportunities. I often say to Opportunity sometimes doesn't care about timing and the timing is actually never perfect, but it is really being open to the opportunities. And I like the idea of being not being so rigid and thinking, oh, this is not going to necessarily get me to my North Star uh, and having people around you that can perhaps make you think a bit more broadly about whether or not it might be right for you at this point exactly. in your career. Yeah. Looking, projecting forward a, a, you know, a few years into the future, what is the role of the GC going to look like? How is it going to be different than what it is today? I think the role of the GC has evolved over time and continues to evolve. And I think it's much more than it used to be where it was really only around legal risk. It's certainly still about legal risk, but increasingly it's also about policy, government relations, working with the comms team, understanding the value of the brand, the business, being able to advise uh, on business issues. And I think that it will just continue to grow in importance. And you you see people that have moved from the GC role to a COO roles or even CEO roles. And I don't think that 20 years ago, you saw that almost ever happen. But nowadays, you're seeing that more and more. Yeah, and Amy's a fantastic example of that too. Anything that you spent too much time worrying about in the past, which on reflection, Shanti, is not time well spent? You know, I think it's hard when you're going through things or you're doing the same thing over and over to think that you're just stuck. 
So that's why I think it is so important to talk to people about options yep. and network. And people always said that, you know, network. Well, what does that mean? Yep. You know, I think it's, <laughs> it's about really, you know, trying to broaden the people that you speak to and learn about what they're doing. It may turn out that you don't like what you do as a lawyer, but you still want to be a lawyer doing something different. So I think it's important yep. to do those things. And so I guess, you know, if I were to give advice to my younger self, it would just be not to worry so much about all that because it, it'll all work out. And, you know, yep. through both hard work and opportunities. Yeah. Another theme, um, nobody ever said, I'm glad I spent all of that time worrying that, that, that you don't hear that all that often. The networking theme, I love that too. And I've said on this podcast before, I didn't take that seriously enough or think about it enough. And I think it was against my natural personality. I'd rather just go and do my work rather than actually take the time. And it's not so much because sometimes I think there's a negative con connotation sometimes to networking. It is really just exposing yourself to people and opportunities and ideas. And the more that you're open to that, uh, I think, the more of those opportunities that present themselves. Yeah. Uh, Shanti, you, you mentioned you, you've got some children. Um, how old now, can I ask? They're seniors in high school. Seniors in high school. Excellent. So I'm going to finish off with this question. Attributes that you're hoping or you can see have come through your children that you're really proud of or you're hoping they'll be able to, characteristics you're hoping they'll be able to grow into. What, what are some of those? I think they're curious, very focused, yep. very um, persistent, and you know, really wanting to get to an answer or get a result. Yep. But also, they are very social, enjoy doing things, and I think they're. You know, they both recently became Eagle Scouts, Scouts BSA. Uh, we Fantastic. used to be Boy Scouts of America, and so you know, I think that to me has been a great program to teach them about ethics and the importance of being prepared and just the love of the great outdoors. So I think there are so many different things that they've learned in that program, which has been fantastic. Fantastic to hear. Anything that they're tired of hearing from you, Shanti? <laughs> Make your bed. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Shanti, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much for joining me. I've had a blast. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye for now. Bye. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.